We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening in the audio format, enjoy your day at work. If you're just chilling at the crib, there's a YouTube video if you'd like to see our video. Today's guest is Adam Apicella. It's going to be a fantastic episode. How you doing, man? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Feeling great. We've been trying to make this happen for a while now. I remember talking to you when I first started the show. Dude, we got to have an episode where we just talk about like the history of COD, MLG, and everything. We finally did it, dude. I've had all these COD guests. <laughs> now you're finally here. Hell yeah. And you're in town. We never see each other. I know, dude. COVID has, has ruined us, dude. Have you been like going out and uh, and doing things like at all? Restaurants? Nothing? No. I mean, occasionally. I mean, but only when it's like super low key, but nothing big. Yeah. How do you stay sane, though? Uh, you doing fun? I got really lucky. So I had, uh, I've collected like gym equipment uh, from Craigslist for years. And so when everything shut down, I had everything I needed here. So. Mm, uh, why does that not surprise me that he just has, he just has a home gym fully built out <laughs> hey, he's a lot better than me and you uh, yeah i mean i make fun of it i laugh but i'm jealous at the same time because i haven't been i haven't been to the gym in months now doesn't yeah, surprise me bro covid sucks man i mean we have this really beautiful office for um for our new company that i'm you know i know we're gonna talk about later but uh 
you know, we haven't we haven't been there since the end of March. So like the broadcast team will go in uh, to do uh, stuff like Call of Duty challengers, etc. But like from a like a work like the working daily, like we're not in there. It's terrible. I mean, like we had such like a great like vibe in there and uh, great morale working there every day. Like you look forward to going to work and we can't go in there at all. So really uh, sucks. Yeah, it's I mean, we can. Yeah, but it's just like we don't want to jeopardize the production environment to have people go in and work when they could work from home right now and do their job. All right. So, so I guess let's talk a little bit about that. So like for you, you're, you're really like, you know, hands-on boss. Like you like to be involved in everything. Like you're always, you know, one-on-one talking to people, figuring things out, right? Like there's an issue you figure it out. Um, how is that for you? Like not being able to be in person, walk up and just talk to them about it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, luckily, uh, I had a, a lot of time, uh, ex- a lot of experience working from home. So when ML- when I first started MLG in 2003, I worked from home for three years. And then when Mike and Sonny raised our first big uh, round of money in like 2006-ish, I moved to New York uh, and I was there for a few years. And then I moved back. Mm. Uh, there's a long story to why I moved back. But uh, and then I worked from home for forever till we opened up the, the Columbus warehouse and then the Eventually, we, we segued that, yeah, that equipment into actually making it from a warehouse into a studio. But I, I, I uh, you know, pretty versed in working from home, but it, it is tough, man. It's uh, especially tough when, you know, we have a team of almost 40. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, like not to like talk about how great we are, but we had a we had a re- we have a really good culture. We have a we're very communicative. Like every day we start with a stand up where the entire team is talking about everything that we're doing. So mm. um, we, we start every single day like that. And I feel like uh, we're, we're poised um, for, you know, to be able to handle this, I'd say some country, some, uh, some uh, companies are struggling. Yeah. And uh, we were kind of uniquely positioned to be able to tackle this in a, in a good way. But it's tough for sure. Yeah, it looks like you guys have stayed super busy, dude. Like every week, I feel like I see a new esports engine announcement on the timeline. Yeah, it's it's. Who was, we- um, go ahead, John. Who was their Who was their new announcement today? It was um, well, I want to say Martin, Martin Wyatt, Wyatt, right? Yeah. yeah. Explain a little bit about what he's going to be doing. Yeah, so we had two hires go live today. We had a uh, we had a, a young man from Denver that uh, works in the news out there that just joined our broadcast team. He's actually driving to Columbus now, which is oh, funny. Oh yeah, bring yeah, him on, oh, yeah. Adam. Bring everybody to Columbus, <laughs> dude. And then uh, we had Martin Wyatt from Gfinity join. So um, Martin's one of those people where uh, I said, if we ever started a company, uh, we ever, if we ever ran it back, right? Because we always talked about like things we would have done different with MLG. And I think yeah, like everyone on this call, um, MLG was probably special to all of us oh, in yeah. our own special way, right? Um, but we know we didn't do it perfect. And we always thought if we ever get another shot at this, you know, with a little bit of, you know, hindsight, 2020 clarity, uh, Martin's one of those people you, you meet on your journey. You're like, I'm going to work with him one day. Yeah. So whenever we had the ability to hire somebody like Martin and we knew we wanted to, to roll out our operation into Europe, Martin was like an obvious person to bring on board. So Martin will head up uh, our UK operations for some, uh, some things that we'll be sharing in the next, you know, 12 months. But uh, there's some, obviously we're always working on really, really big stuff. So yeah. I mean, we didn't do this to go small. Yeah. So you talk about MLG a little bit there, and that's kind of how I wanted to start the beginning of this episode. So a lot of people who listen to the podcast are probably avid Call of Duty fans, and they might be new. Um, so can you talk a little bit about yourself and like MLG in the very beginning, like grassroots? We're talking, when was it founded? Like 20 years ago? Yeah, 2003. Mike and Sonny founded it in 2002. Okay. 2002. So, you know, like I, you know, I know that one of the things we talked about in our little prep call was you get a lot of questions about how do you break in the industry? How do you work? And, yeah. um, 
I, I understand completely that, you know, today's esports world is different than the one I'm about to talk about, but I don't think the, the hard work and the initiative and the sort of like doing whatever you can to chase a dream. I don't think that is, I don't think that changes from, you know, 2002 to now. So like what I'm, what I'm about to say, I, I hope is relevant for anybody looking to kind of break into this space. But, um, I grew up in Ohio, it's called Ohio Valley. It's right on the Ohio, West Virginia border. I grew up in a, I graduated 40 people and a little village called wow. Shadyside. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a town. We didn't have a stoplight. Uh, the big thing in town <laughs> was a Dairy Queen and we had a Ben Franklin's and, uh, you know, the coal and steel used to be big there. And then the, those industries died and it's just these tiny little ghost towns up and down the high river. And wow, so there was no one there. Yeah. Nobody there. So like, I actually, I'm actually considered a minority, which is funny enough. I'm considered an Appalachian. So I get a, I get a, based on my zip code, I get grants and scholarships to college if I can make it out and I have the grades. So like my area of like, it's pretty impoverished. It's pretty rough. So that's how little people were there. That's how low the population was, is that you gave you guys the name. It used to be booming. It used to be coal and okay. steel and those industries died. So it's like okay. all these little ghost towns up and down the Ohio River. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the hardest working people on the planet, I swear to God. And if you, if people make it out of there, like, I, you know, I always get like, if I find a like a high valley kid is like graduate from college and um, I always like try to bring them into an event or have them work on something because I know that they're like the sons and daughter of a, of a coal worker steel, or a coal miner or steel worker. Mm-hmm. But anyways, went to college. Uh, I was graduating and uh, I started working in congressional politics. Uh, I was, I was taking a year off to go to, before to go into law school. Cause I wanted to, I didn't have any money. Like we had, you know, my mom made, you know, 14, $15,000 a year. Mm. And, uh, so it was going to be on me to pay for law school. So I was going to take a year off to prep for the LSATs. And I wanted this letter from the Congressman that was in the 16th, 18th congressional district, excuse me. I wanted that letter of recommendation. I was going to help. That was going to mean a lot of money for me in terms of grants and scholarships. Mm-hmm. So during that, that tent, that stand of working for him, I was, I put 30, 35,000 miles in my car in like six, eight months driving around the district. Uh, I would go door to door to all the County seats to the, the businesses. And I wouldn't go to the residential places, but I would go to every business and every one of the little villages and towns throughout our, our, uh, our district. And, uh, I didn't have money and I didn't have uh, time obviously cause it was a seven day a week job and I would get back and we would, all of my friends local would come up to my mom's house at like, I don't know, like midnight when I would get home, we would play Halo one all night. That's dope. <laughs> and uh, cause I, you know, I couldn't afford to go to the bar. I couldn't do, I, you know, and these, so a lot of my friends are in the same boat or uh, John Kern, you guys know, and, yep. and Bob Morris, you guys know, those are my, yep. both of my cousins. So they would come to my mom's house too. They're four years younger than me. And they would bring all their friends. And we would just play Halo. And I was like, man, this, this, this game's fucking great. <laughs> um, so uh, you couldn't play on Xbox Live then. And I, uh, I had my buddy make a website. I ran out of a ballroom in Wheeling, West Virginia. This little like, I don't know, 2,000 square foot ballroom. And I borrowed 20 televisions and Xboxes from family and friends. And one morning at five in the morning, driving over in an S10, like 1990 Chevy pickup. <laughs> we have 20 TV power in the back, and we're sitting in the back of the truck driving over from the Ohio, West Virginia, across the bridge to this little hotel where I rented this ballroom. Through the tunnels. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, roads, like, yep. shitty, like, but at the time, it was, like, the fucking, the best ballroom of all time, right? And we set up yeah. this tournament, and we had set up this website, like I said, and uh, hundreds of people showed up for this tournament we were running. And uh, Chris Puckett, who was 16 at the time, showed up, like, uh, Kevin Colvin, Nistic, uh, a lot of like, like Scott Lucier, uh, he released Rogue Company, uh, Zena, who works at, uh, you know, Bonnie Burton, you know, all these people from all over the country came and, 
uh, ended up giving away a few thousand dollars in prize money. And uh, I never, you know, I didn't want to do anything ever to do with video games again. These kids were all brats. And (laughs) 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 that was a lot of work. I mean, I did all this shit. All I wanted to do was find people to play Halo with. And I ended up working my ass off all day. And, um, you know, like a week later, uh, I see, I, Puckett reaches out to me and wants to run another tournament in Pittsburgh. And I, I told him I would help him write an email to Mike and Sundance in New York, who had just announced MLG. So I emailed him and within like five minutes of the email, hitting send on the email, Sundance literally calls me. Oh, and he's like, Hey, can you come to New York? I'm like, yes, but I have no money. <laughs> so I took an 11 hour train from Pittsburgh to, to Penn Station and met with Sundance and Mike and they offered to match the, like the $400 a month I was making in this kind of just for a letter recommendation congressional job oh these guys finessed you <laughs> no, they didn't have any money either they were working in this yeah, little like, starting, right? room closet yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, we uh, you know Puckett's dream was to run this tournament in Pittsburgh and they're like hey We've already announced this tournament in Philadelphia. It's in February, and we haven't booked a venue. Will you please, for the love of God, instead of doing it in Pittsburgh, run it in Philadelphia, and we'll fund it. So we we get it like this dream ten thousand dollar prize purse, which was at the time was like this fucking massive sure, thing. Yeah. And uh, we 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 spin up Halo Nationals, and it ended up being like almost a hundred teams. It was gigantic at the time. I mean, even now, it's still. A, I, you look back; it's a big tournament. Yeah. There's no way. There's no spectators. There's no way to watch it. There's no stream. It was just people coming to fucking compete in video games. Of That's course, insane, the ogres win dude. it. Yeah, the ogres win the two v two, the one v ones. I think it, Dan versus Tom in the finals of the one v one. They win the four v four. What Halo is this? This is uh, Halo, Halo E. Halo C. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, of course, huge success <laughs> and. Uh, I was t- it was time to go back. I, I got accepted into law school. I was ready to roll. And they're like, hey, will you become VP of legal operations for Major League Gaming? Wow. You know, and we'll pay you. It was a, it was a, for me, it was the most amount of money I'd ever seen. It was like more, like way more than my mom was making. I mean, but now I look back and it wasn't a lot, but it was, there was a generous thing for them to do for me. I took, I rolled the dice. I was like, you know, law school will be here in a year or whatever. And I accepted a job and they're like, oh, we've announced a 13 city tour around the country. <laughs> we've announced all, <laughs> we've announced all the cities and all the dates. So like literally like San Francisco, March 15th, you know, LA, April 10th. And we haven't booked a venue yet. Whew. So you have to, you have to book these what? venues. And, and they're hiring you to do this job. This and I never do. booked anything outside of Willing, West Virginia and this thing in Philadelphia with them. So that's how it started. But <laughs> I would uh I would fly around to these I'd never flown before by the way ever till this job so I flew to these all these whatever cities and I would get off the plane I would go to the venue on like a Wednesday and a truck would show up and it was these giant tube televisions would show up on this truck um and I would unload it by myself I would set up all the the venue by myself I would tape down the wires and at the time we invested in like a few hundred bucks in projectors I'd set up the projectors Puckett would get out of school because he was still in high school because he was my one helper. He worked for like a hundred dollars and he would show up on Friday when school was out. Cause that's when his mom would let him fly. And he was my referee slash tournament admin slash registration <laughs> helper all weekend. Uh, and Mike and Sundance were there just trying to like go to business and, you know, doing everything they could uh, to support. Um, and eventually like John Nelson, who's now at apex, like yep. Ryan Thompson who's a co-founder of EE, like came on and we ended up having like a team that now we're like, doing awesome things in the industry, but it really started on nothing. And it was like literally all passion and grind. And it really was, man. I mean, like you always hear that story, like the stories where people talk about 
the their humble beginnings and uh we it really was it, we we really just worked our ass off and we had at any second worked a little like little less it wouldn't happen like yeah. so there was like do or die every single time that's insane to hear about so, cause, go ahead john so this is 2002 2003 how many years of learning curve what do you think do you think it took before you were like comfortable with what you were doing running these events and whatnot so that was 2003. The 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 um my wheeling term is 2003 August. Then like months of talking to Sundance and Mike or like working for them and helping them. We ran Philadelphia in February of 2004, and in all of 2004 we ran that big tour. Okay? okay. So the tour ends, and then the new Xbox comes out, or the wait, the new Halo comes out. Halo Two comes out. Yep. Which, as a startup, and as a single man production unit was the biggest nightmare ever because the game comes out. Everyone's fucking stoked about Halo 2. We done all, like, we ended our last event in Chicago. One of our last events. Remember Little Poison? You guys remember that? That little kid that played Halo? He's like six years old. Oh, yeah, um, I do not remember, no. Well, anyways, we, Chicago was this big event. It almost put us on a map that year. We had, like, hundreds of people show up for the free-for-all. We, we had another, like, 100-plus tournament, and it was, like, off, like, we are kind of catapulting off of that in Halo 2. People were starting to hear about MLG. The grassroots scene was starting to take take uh, take root, and the uh, Halo Two comes out, and it's every player gets their own TV, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Because I had <laughs> all this shit by myself. Yeah, no more split screen. <laughs> so Mike and Sonny buy all these TVs, right? And like, they're like, "We're gonna buy them, we're not gonna rent them anymore." So instead of me hefting out these giant 32 inch or 27 inch tube televisions, it was but every it was it used to be four guys on one TV. Now it was we had thirty-two or sixteen to twenty-five stations of of four, like truly four v four, and I'm setting them all up by myself. First event, two thousand and five, and I'm going to answer your question. I know uh, I'll get to it about cutting my teeth and how I learned. But uh, <laughs> what, what I did learn very quickly is that you can't do everything yourself. And I'll give you a great example. I'm I, uh, to Washington D.C. The first event, two thousand and five. I I go through and I I drive up from from I'm still living in Shady Side. John Curran, as you guys know, who's now our director of logistics and one of the hardest workers you ever meet. Another one of those High Valley kids, like works till there's nothing left Love to that do. Guy. And he's also like a human golden retriever, nicest person on the planet. <laughs> and uh, I, I, he comes up with me, drives up with me, and we're setting up the TVs. We set up these like hundreds of televisions, and you know the event events over. It's a great event to kick off the MLG 2005 per circuit. And Sepso sees like my cousin out there. He's like 19 years old. He's just out there fucking huffing TVs out, <laughs> and he's like, hey. What do you think we could get? You think we could John to go to sit the event next month? He's like, well, tell him we'll pay him. Tell him we'll pay him 150 bucks. So I walk up to John, I'm like, hey, John, guess what? Big news. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like he'll fly you to San Francisco for the next event, and he'll pay you 150 dollars and put you, and you can share a room with me and sleep on my floor, and we'll give you some food, uh, <laughs> work at the event. And he's like, you're telling me you guys will fly me to San Francisco and you'll pay me 150 dollars? Holy shit! Are you fucking kidding me? And like right away, I had like help. Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know the that year. Like I don't want to look. I don't want to like make it sound like some grandiose thing where I learned to be some like production master through all this shit. I didn't. Like we had no money. We had no budget. Zero. Like we couldn't even afford referees. We set it up. We ref. We ran. You know whatever. Same three here from the grassroots operators now. Um. But I, I did learn, I think one of the things, the lessons that, and I think it's also part of my upbringing that I, di- that I did learn, I do think separates us very, 
a big way from a lot of people that you see in a space now is I, I truly live by this and Martin lives by this is it's very easy to spend money. It's very easy to spend money. It's very hard to spend straw into gold. And we learned how to make a lot with a little all the time. And that's something we still hold. And that's something we bring not only for our own personal execution, but things that we, we try to bring for partners that we work with that like, we're going to do a lot with everything we have in front of us. And that made you appreciate every resource that you had. And I'll never kind of uh, begrudge those lessons and the hard work we had to do to get those lessons, but uh, definitely taught me to be a more frugal and diligent operator for sure. Yeah. I mean, even some of the COD events, like you guys would go so big on some of them and it would be like, well, we didn't have to break the bank to do this. And it's still epic as shit, which is incredible. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. After that, you know, a couple years go by, MLG is doing well. And then I remember MLG was on TV. It went absolutely huge. When I was a kid, I was watching Halo on TV. That's how I got into esports. No joke. I was watching Halo on USA Network at night. I would watch like reruns of Carbon versus whoever. Um, he talked to me a little bit about that it was like like seeing your tournaments on TV and like it's sort of going into this like nat- like USA national brand where everybody started to know what MLG was. You know, those years are like to be like it's probably the first time I've ever even said this publicly, but those years were like weird for me because uh, it's like that awkward stage, like when you're like a teenager and you're super awkward, like uh, as a young man. Yeah, that's how I was as a businessman, too. So like mm-hmm. back then I was like, I, we'd raise all this money. I go and they like Mike and Sundance, like rightfully so brought in all these like high powered executives from like they, at the time AOL, which was big. They brought in all these like like big names from there and like Harvard and Yale graduates. I'm some poor kid from Ohio, the Ohio Valley that, you know, I earned my way there, but I didn't know, I didn't know if I fit, I was intimidated, you know what I'm saying? And like that, that whole period's a blur for me. Like I remember being super excited and, and being able to live in my element when we go to these events and always being like that, that gaming guy that was part of the team. But like, uh, I always look back now and realize that like how naive I was and like, but being able to hold that like nucleus of like who I was and what made me valuable even today, um, I think uh, allowed me to outlast a lot of those like um, Ivy League high-powered yeah. executives they brought in. But it was super cool, man. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, 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 I always remember though being like very salty that like I you you talked about like what did I learn from running running these events, right? And we learned a lot, and we never got the chance to really like have some budget, have some resources. I always remember being. Salty, like, hey, now we have money. Why don't they give it to me instead of bringing in these agencies and these people and whatever? And uh, and so I think a lot of that, that time I was I was pretty uh, like immature and bitter about it. 
But at the same time, at 2006 event we ran in Meadowlands, the first event after we had funding, we come from these like shitty ballrooms to like having this giant set and producing it for USA. And regardless of my personal like journey and uh, begrudging where we were at, seeing the kids run in and like like T squared and ogres and like like all these players that have been like following us through this circuit, seeing them walk in and see what we had done. And seeing their face and whole, blow, being blown away by, by the main stage is something I'll never forget. It's literally what drives, I think, anybody in this space to do what they do. When you walk in and you see the talent and you see the fans and you see everyone walk in and see your stage and see what you did. And they're like, holy yeah. fuck, you live for that adrenaline moment. And I'll never forget, we had a lot of those moments in his first years. And um, it was super cool to see something go from a truly grassroots level to what we took it to. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was like all Halo at the time too, man. I mean, then StarCraft came into the picture and you guys just kept getting bigger and bigger and the events kept getting bigger and bigger. How, what was it like uh, for you transitioning sort of into that, you know, leader role where things started to scale and get a lot bigger and you had to really be a boss? Like when you first had to start uh, learning how to be like a boss of a lot of people and put on these huge events. Yeah, I mean, luckily I I, uh, I, I had Mike and Sundance to help me yes. a lot and uh you know, I think that I'm very lucky in that a lot of people don't have a men- like mentors like I had. And, uh, you know, I also look back to, and it, this will like blow your mind. You go back and look at pictures. And to me, Mike and Sundance have always been like older, like older in quotes. They've always been older than me. They've always been older brother. But if you think back when we first started this shit, what is it like 18 years ago? I mean, these guys were early 30s. They were young like, too, man. <laughs> And they were like planning a, a tour with like like rubbing together two nickels to figure out how to fund this. You guys were with, legitimately crazy if you think about it, Adam. Like what, it's, what it's was insane. happening? You guys were crazy. And I I, I I get so like heated on Twitter when people. That's why I caught you at the beginning of this when people say, "Well, it's not relevant now about how you break into the industry." Mike and Sundance did this with fucking nothing. And by the way, that not only did publishers not know what esports was or what video games, they th- all thought it was a scam. Not one of them. They were like, yeah, go use our game. We don't give a fuck. Like, this yeah. is stupid. No <laughs> one does this shit. Not only that, but venues wouldn't even let us book there because they thought it was a scam. So I would call a venue. I'd be like, really? I have money. And they're like, sorry, this is stupid. You're not bringing <laughs> something here. So we would, like, literally get turned away by cities, by venues, by, like, hotels. Really? And, uh, yeah, I mean, and... and the Mike and Sundance like prepped me a lot and like see, being able to learn from them was invaluable. And uh, so when, when I was, when it was time to lead, like I, I think that uh, one of the things that benefits me a lot is again, like having humble beginnings and having a lot of like moments in my life where I can look back and realize I had egg on my face sometimes or things happened to me where I put myself and I realized like I should have been better here. Those lessons have helped me a lot. And uh, you know, it's it, it was it's being a manager of folks and 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 leading a team is is probably what drives me every day to do this stuff like i love working with our team it's like the number one thing we we do and like uh, that like makes our team tick and so just me like driving it. it's like our teamwork and how we function and sort of that uh we call it uh, avoiding siloing at all costs and what i what that means is like at a big company they silo a lot like they they go under like your broadcast team your production team and your league ops team or whatever we're like we have those departments but we're one team and that's super important for us and i think you guys probably experienced that when you were working with us and like it was a how family, we go i could a, talk yeah. to anybody in the Wait. building which was great i, I could just that. walk i could just walk into the back office when i was there 
and just walk in. Just <laughs> when people were there at work, and they, I'd walk in, they say, "Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good job." Blah blah blah. It, I'm like, these are guys that I would necessarily not even have to see, or they they're in the back. We're out yeah. there in the front. And every like single person you were talking to knew a little bit about you or a little yeah. bit about what you were doing. Enough to be dangerous. They might not have been your boss or knew what your runner show was, but they knew enough about you personally. Knew, and that's that's something that that makes us like uniquely positioned again to like really run here. And it's something I'm super proud of. So uh, sorry if that did, that was a roundabout way of answering your question. Great but, answer. That was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So first of all, I would like to say I could listen to these stories all day long and I know there's plenty more, um, but we might have to have some more episodes in the future for that. But I want to talk about COD a little bit. So when did COD officially, was it 20? Well, you guys were running uh, tournaments in 2008 for COD 4, um, but that was on the game battle side of thing. Were you involved at all with uh, with any of the COD tournaments during that time, the online ones? Um, you did nationals. Like- you did nationals, right? <laughs> is that a is that a layup for uh, is that a new for for uh, young Jonathan here? It actually wasn't, but it, I mean, it, it is. I, don't, I don't remember. Well, that was like Vegas or something, right? Yeah, like <laughs> it was national championships. So this is going to sound terrible, but like Call of Duty wasn't like certain game. Like it was this weird uh, situation with um, with games where they all wanted to be the main stage. They they would they or they'd want to at least have a stage at the pro circuit. And that was one of the things as publishers started to care about esports. They realized that the value we brought and the longevity we brought to a game's life cycle. And uh, more and more, they would walk in and they would say, "Okay, how do I get that stage?" And uh, that was mainly my focus: that main main stage or stages. Okay. And I would help sanction that and build that and, and manage that product with uh, with John Nelson and obviously Ryan Thompson and broadcast and plethora of other people. Like COD, it at some point, like it came on. It was on via game battles a lot. COD didn't have a lot of tools. There was like no land mode. There was no private lobby. There was like a lot of shit where yeah. it was tough for us to really take it seriously because it felt like they were taking it serious. And then Sony really wanted to compete with Xbox, and which was Halo was a flagship title, which is end all be all for FPS console in North America. Uh, so they started funding the the Call of Duty circuit, and then it became more and more. It came bigger and bigger and bigger. It started as like a little like little cluster stations that was a combination of an online thing and then it became like a like a mini open bracket and then as more and more tools came out and the devs started to take it serious so we had stuff to play with we could actually run stuff of consequence on land um so yeah like cod uh cod became more and more on my radar and then eventually became something we couldn't ignore anymore where it's like okay this deserves to be officially sanctioned with the other kind of four or five titles that are like our big ones. And then Adam couldn't just give us the main stage, right? Like that we had our own separate nah. little main stage on the right side of the convention center <laughs> that was like smaller and less epic than the Halo main stage. Um, but Wait. you guys remember those events in 2011, Black Ops 1 events? Uh, oh, yeah. MLG, those were it took, epic, It took man. a while for COD to get there for sure. Mm-hmm. We won and MLG had us take our picture with two legit I'm straight ripping. <laughs> that that always blew my mind. Like, what? Is that, that, that true? Two yeah. legit came, came through to like. Two legit like, hey, <laughs> congrats. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Like, you what? Guys, <laughs> those events, uh, well, obviously you remember, but like how epic those were, those just console decathlon events with like Halo, Call of Duty, all the communities in one place, just this crazy extravaganza of, of competition like those were absolutely phenomenal but that had to be a nightmare for you like hey, how were those like like was that something you guys planned to do did you want to do separate events or the well no it, the the multiple titles in a room was was definitely a strategy because again it allowed us to uh play publishers off each other not to sound like 
scummy, but like you didn't want to have one person come in, especially we had no like real foothold in the business. Right. It was, we were a third party, what we call third party operator where uh, we had, we didn't control the game. So at any time they could take that game away from us. Right. Mm. So we always had to have other games as insurance uh, because if, mm. again, if you look at the, the ebb and flow of our games, like we have in Halo to Starcraft to League of Legends to Call of Duty, we had Dodo and you know, there's, we always had one that we were ready to have in the wings to, to, to take the crown if one was taken away from us or if it died, to be honest with you, like yeah. Halo had started to kind of fall. So we had to have kind of backups. Um, so there's that from a business standpoint, but from a, like a, a crowd and uh, a crowd standpoint, I'm, I'm a big believer in that the games are sold on the same shelf next to each other at a store. They're sold next to each other on steam or uh, in a digital marketplace. There's no reason. I don't give a fuck if it's a different publisher that these games shouldn't be published or, uh, uh, they shouldn't be produced next to each other in a live venue. I don't think that the this whole thing that I'm gonna I'm going to lose audience to a game that they, like they're gonna find out about Counter Strike because I COD and Counter Strike are in the same room. I'm gonna lose COD fans to Counter Strike. It's madness. It really is. And it, and and the more you, the, my opinion is, if you can, if it, would you rather have 2,500 people in the room for one game? Or do you rather have 25,000 people in a room for five games? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like, I think everyone is greater for being able to, like, being, for having more people in a room, having more exposure, and that roar from one stage that's rolling to the next. And you're like, what the fuck's going on over there? And it's it's ambiance and energy. And I'll tell you right now, too, the sponsors, like, you, like, this thing that we're trying to, like, figure out how to monetize this thing. We're trying to figure out how to to grow this thing. We, growth isn't a problem. Being able to, to, to level set the bottom of this this space that's like growing like a weed with revenue is a huge issue. And if Coca-Cola, whoever wants to come in here, they're gonna they're gonna wanna have a vibrant audience that's diverse, multicultural, lots of like you know, the you know, everyone from all walks of life in there. And to to have just one representation of a small audience segment in a room is just not as lucrative to somebody that they can go and sponsor football or whatever, or you're gonna have 25 to 60,000 people at a stadium and it's like what do you, what are we talking about here like what this isn't even the same thing never even so, thought about it like that if, if we need to right now and our and again remember this this space is 20 years old we are we, we are at 100 years old like a lot of these traditional sports we're up against if we need to do stuff like that to be able to compete with these guys to at least start to prop up our ability to generate revenue we should be doing it i don't i don't see any negatives to it and those games those games are all going to find more audience cross pollination from those those other games that are next to them. No one from another game is going to say that game sucks. I'm going to watch it less because it's here, or they're not going to say I quit this game and I'm going to go watch this game because it's here. Yeah, like that. And, and, and if you're a if, fan going to an event, what if I'm a, what if I'm a developer? What if I'm a developer of okay, let's say League of Legends, it's the biggest game, right? Mm-hmm. Why would I want you to bring in these other games so that my fans, my League of Legends fans, say there's say there's 150 thousand people at the place? And 135,000 of them are, are mine. Why am I sharing those with you for the chance for the exposure of this extra 15,000 people that you're bringing me so as I'm, a similar title? I'm not saying that like a Riot-funded League of Legends thing that should be the Super Bowl League of Legends shouldn't, ex- shouldn't exist by itself. I'm not saying that that's shouldn't be a thing. Like That should and can exist by itself. Awesome. But like the ESLs of the world, the DreamHacks of the world, all these operators out of the world, grassroots operators, again, like everything, if Riot had a limited money, I'm sure they would have an event every weekend, but they, they don't like, they're going to have to make this a real tangible business that makes sense. And 
if they can't do that to scale, to the scale that the, the audience deserves, then they should be able to create tools where these things can exist in these multi-game environments that because an operator is going to amortize costs. A venue rental is going to happen once. I'm going to rent a venue rental for 100,000 square feet for $40,000, call it. And if I can cram three or four titles in there and produce them at a very you know, epic quality, but it kind of amortize out my overhead costs across multiple games, that allows me as an operator to be able to, to afford to do more and to be able to, to stay afloat as a business. Right now, we're, just, we're not there where everyone can operate at that scale for every single title. So I think there's a room. I think there's room for both. I think there's room for these celebrations of a specific title, but I do think that there needs to be less stringency around the ability to sanction multiple titles in the same room for the. And I think these publishers should be more tolerable of it. There's nothing that they they lose out of it. They just gain audience share around the country, yeah, around the world. And you can still have those big events, right? You can still have the you know. 20,000 people at your event. You just have the other ones as well. But I will say this conversation is way above my pay grade. So Adam, you're an, you're an, absolute, you're an absolute genius and you're giving out advice for free. So I respect it. But uh, I mean, t- I mean, you're talking about sort of what you wish was uh, different in esports. But uh, let's talk about sort of your tenure uh, in COD and even in, M- in MLG with Halo. Uh, what do you wish you would have done differently, uh, you know, along the the times of your career with Halo and how, you know, Halo started to die and then, you know, moving on with, with Call of Duty. What would I have done differently? Yeah. Uh, whew. that's a good one. We were talking about this before. I want to, I want to bring it up now. He takes a sip of the White Claw. Let me think. Oh, you get it. Hey, how about this? What would you have done differently with Call of Duty? Oh, uh, with like CDL? Yes, with CDL. Uh, if so, you were working CEO, what would you have done differently? So I think, you know, like, I think CDL did a great job first off. I think I, I say that without like just trying to be um, political about it. Like right now, this, this year especially was really rough. Uh, I don't know why I would, I would have done much different than what they did. And a lot of like even the, the kind of the tournament calls or the, the like the, something happens like a, a lag out or whatever like really there's not much i probably would on different i always get spammed with with tweets and messages like i cw i wish it was back you know i wish you know adam and his team were back doing this and like the truth of the matter is there's not much we would have done differently than what cdl did like i think that maybe we had a little bit more of a personal touch with some of the, like some of the player relations i heard um which i think would have gone a long way um but a lot of the tough decisions that they made like i probably would have made the same ones I think some of the things that I probably would have done different, like uh, giving you a specific example, being at Minnesota, uh, I, th- I thought it was a big miss. I, I'm not going to buy into the meme about the parking garage. The parking garage wasn't as bad as everyone says it was. Yeah, I walked through. It wasn't that crazy. But putting them da- putting a, that 1,000-plus people downstairs when it should have been upstairs, like they had these giant rows on the sides for concessions, right? Giant. And they had, Are you no, talking about no, like the bars on left and right? And there, yeah. there, was, what, what, there was like a, a second level of like – uh, yeah, there's more alcohol there than I've ever yeah. seen it. And, and no offense, you guys are beautiful and all, but like your desk took up a giant, <laughs> like a, the Whoa. end zone of the football field. Well, the so, plan, the plan for all the events was to have like the desk there and then the crowd. Like that was they had like a, a plan I, for. No, the- I, uh, yeah, 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 but the open bracket, <laughs> power, the open bracket is power, man. Like there's a thousand plus people and then like five hundred, you know, seven hundred fans around the thing, and you separate that energy and you put it downstairs. 
that could have been on the wings where those bars are. That could have been like where the, the desk was like having that all be there. I felt like would have been a good embodiment of COD. You grab a jib grab and you sweep over the venue and you have every seat packed because people that aren't competing are going to go the most adjacent seat they have possible from the open bracket. Yep. They're going to sit in the audience and watch the main stage. That jib grab is going to grab the a full audience and it's going to run down and it's going to grab everyone playing fucking call of duty, which is huge for Activision. So for me, like having that staging, uh, it really embraced the the amateur aspect, which I think is a huge, huge, huge part of CDL, and it needs to be a bigger part of their strategy. I think would have been something from a staging POV that I would have done differently. Okay. I think their main stage, uh, their main stage was cool. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It was super clean. It looked great. I love their graphics package on it. Their graphics package blew ours out of the water. Um, it looked great. The, the LED, it. yeah, the graphics are on LED uh, was amazing. Uh, I do think they could have gone a little bit more like. Uh, grand with the kind of design of it, like the creativity around how they deployed that LED and the the, the aesthetic of it. But there, there's like no like major like negatives that I would say. I, I just think that there's some major tweaks that I would have made around how they stage the room. And I, again, like I think challengers being a bigger, 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 bigger part of everything that they did uh, would have helped them immensely. Yeah. So you guys had a hand in challengers this year uh, at a few events. Uh, how was that? Like setting all that up. And uh, do you think you achieved what you wanted to going into it? So we were the we were the partner to help logistically operate challengers, but we didn't like plan out the the product or anything. Um, I think it did, I think we went well. Like the the CDL team on the other end was uh, really supportive and a great partner to work with, like uh, Casey and Allie and Matt and Casey. Um, yeah, Casey's great, Allie's great, and um, they were awesome to work with. Uh, I I just think that challengers was something that almost felt like um, a vestige or relic of the past that they knew they had to bring in, but I don't know if they ever really, they, they, they did it. They didn't do it as a service by any means. So I'm not saying that because they gave it a lot of prize money. They did a, they did a lot to prop up the amateur scene, but there's little things that they could have done to like, almost like get rid of all the complaints. Like having a stream should have been nothing. Like you could have done that for nothing to stream the, the amateur side of it. Um, and I know that no one watches it. Everyone's going to say the viewership's low, but for me, like a few thousand people being able to watch is for one is that kid that has that patch on his Jersey. That's going to, that, that patch might not be, it's not a, a million dollar sponsorship, but it's a sponsorship to pay for his hotel room and his flight. Right. That this, these sponsors, yeah. they're, they're gonna, these teams are going to fund it because they know that the valuation they need for their partners on their Jersey needs to cover that team to be there. They're not trying to have a Coke sponsorship. They're trying to have a Dave and Buster's in Idaho sponsorship that, 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 that Dave and Buster's <laughs> wasn't their, their, their Jersey might appear on stream. So for that, that level, that economy of scale, that level of team, not having a stream really hurt that, that those players and it hurt that whole economy. Um, and I just like, again, I just think that those players needed more, like, I'm not saying they needed a tie into pro that's that ship was gone. That ship sailed even for our last year. We, we separated them. Yeah. But I just feel like that there needed to be more embraced by the CDL around the kind of the sanctioning and uh, leveling up of those pros or those amateurs that were below the pro level because they're going to be the next pros. Yeah. So for you, how important is the challenger scene to Call of Duty? Because, you know, there's some people who are like, ah, oh, AMs, you know, they'll make their way up through, you know, s &E tournaments, et cetera. And then there's some people who are like, we need to keep growing challengers. It's extremely important. Like, how important is it? And why do we need challengers, in your opinion? So just like I was saying earlier about like where we're at as an industry, um, challengers in any game and is everything in my opinion. 
uh, I, right now, the people, the majority, like we always talk about this Eldorado viewership segment of like, we need to go get people that don't play COD to watch COD. Or we need to go get people that don't play that don't aren't into esports to watch esports. That's that's a great stretch goal that'll happen years from now when we have things like fantasy and we have things like gambling. We have things like the band and the cheerleader and the, the moms, uh, whatever that can volunteer at the, our football games. All these people that are that are attachments to our sport that don't play our sport but to have skin in the game. We don't have that yet. We're working on it. But we do have is a very very invested audience that plays our games, right? And so our viewers and our attendees are, are kind of uh, very informed players or they're significant others. Um, for me, the touching, playing, experiencing, feeling Call of Duty and feeling the game that you're kind of coming to watch is super important for esports at this stage in its life cycle as an industry. So I, I, I think that Challengers is really important. Uh, I think it's it's really important for aspiration, and it's really important to sort of the edutainment and kind of play what you, uh, watch what you play. Yeah. Uh, people right now are, are watching a lot to 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 see how they stack up and how they can improve. And like, I, there's a lot of statistics. Like back in the day at MLG, game battles was a dog for us as a business. It lost money every year. And then we rolled up. We brought Mike Sepso one day. It was like, why did we get rid of the MLG Pro thing? Like, people love to be called MLG Pro. Like, why did we get rid of that? They did. And he's like, we should rank everybody. And we're like, so we created, <laughs> we created MLG Pro Points and we rolled it out. And at the beginning, like, we did it on everything. You could play, play COD Zombies, you could play whatever, and it rolled into your that Pro Points. I will say that was genius because that forced was, you to get in the game. Point check people. Game battle went. <laughs> <laughs> game battles went from losing money every year to profitable within one year. Wow. One year. And it was because people want to know whether, like, they want us to look at the leaderboard. They want to say, okay, Formal was ranked number five. I may be ranked number 25,000, but I have the same currency as Formal. Right? So that whole, like, ranking thing and, like, knowing how you, you stack up against your heroes or people that you want to be one day, that whole, that whole kind of aspiration is super important. So, again, like, Challengers to me is, is vital. It's it's vital. Yeah, yeah. Well, since, you, John. since you well, I, he brought it up, so I wanted to go into it. What are your thoughts on, I guess, uh, like a fantasy type thing or gambling in esports, Call of Duty in particular? What are your thoughts on that? And I guess the negatives you could see with something like that, although it would bring in new fans, obviously, because that's what gambling does. Yeah, I mean, I think gambling and uh, fantasy is is super important. I think it's just. Um, Again, it's it's creating that fan segment we're talking about that we're we're trying to go right now. There's there's a few in my my opinion. Again, this isn't like some gospel, but my opinion is our viewership and our kind of attention is going to be around kind of our devoted player base first, and then right now in Call of Duty, if we say like five percent of the Call of Duty forty million players are interested in esports, the next segment we want to go after is how do we go from five percent to twenty five percent of Call of Duty players that are interested in esports, right? And after that, like, we want to continue growing in that. We want to fish where there's fish. We want to continue growing that. But again, that Eldorado of viewer that we're talking about of, like, people that don't necessarily watch Call of Duty or watch esports, how do we get them invested? And that's what we're talking about, fantasy, talking about gambling. We're talking about other collectibles, whatever, like the whole Dota economy and, like, with the CSGO skins. Like, how do we continue to, like, widen the band of people that are interested that might not necessarily be COD players and of any of any degree? And... I think that it's needed, and I think that unfortunately right now in an online environment, it, it's very tough to yes. make it happen with competitive integrity because of the, 
the unfortunate fucking horrible situation that CDL is dealing with. And they're again, like I, I say this on a hundred percent, uh, genuinely, they're doing a great job. Like, I don't know how you could have done it differently. Um, without like having an NBA esque bubble and having these players compete in it. But like, it's Which tough absurd, to combine game. What's that? Which is absurd. There's yeah, no it's absurd. <laughs> uh, w- without having gambling, with 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 having gambling in fantasy, I think in this online COVID environment where somebody can like literally go out of their way and DDoS somebody and whatever, I, I, it's for me, it's 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 tough. It's tough to justify. Uh, competitive integrity should be first. I know CDL agrees. Um, maybe with PC, there's things that I don't know that maybe they can play where they don't need to play on PSN. Or Xbox Live, where you know, as we, as you guys all know, you've dealt with as a streamers and pro players, uh, where your IP is very exposed in those environments. Yeah, no matter how, especially at home, man. Some people can't change their IP. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So you can't stop people if they want to cheat you. It's impossible. I truly believe that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know if the PC situation is going to create a more stable environment where they can compete that it makes this more viable. But I think right now they're they're just for me. Long tail, yes, it's it's integral and it's going to be huge for the scene. Uh, right now, with the COVID environment, everything online, it's it's tough to justify. Yeah, um, COD switching to PC, big news recently. Um, we haven't covered this in the podcast, but I think that this is a huge deal for Call of Duty going forward. It's something I've wanted for a very long time. Uh, I think consoles, obviously, you know, it's sort of in the past. Uh, it's better frame rate, more optimization, more customization for pro players. Uh, And there's more capabilities on the production side of things with the game because you have more access to the game. Uh, What what does this mean for Call of Duty Esports? You know, for some of the viewers in the chat who aren't as uh, well-versed in it as we are, what do you think it means for for Cod Esports, Adam? I I would hope that with this comes some... some, um some more tools, some more ability to have like some custom tools for esports, and like you guys know this because you were in the venue when this would happen. Like we couldn't control the patch schedule, and neither to be fair, like someone's to blame the developers or blame the studios. It's not, sometimes they are at the mercy of PSN or Xbox Live too, because you have to schedule out in advance these the, the, like the these builds of when you're gonna roll a patch and when you're gonna roll an update, and shit's broken. Where like again, like the their bread and butters that made the game, where people are spending money in the game and. You can't have the game be broken, so they have to schedule like they have like windows with Xbox Live and PSN when they have to roll updates, and sometimes it's a critical update. And other times they they just have to roll the update, otherwise like they they just they've committed to it months in advance with these yeah. the, with these console platforms. <clears throat> what would happen is, I mean, literally like you guys at home have no idea what we would deal with, but we would have to update the day four, of, man. Oh. four or five hundred <laughs> PS4s or Xboxes the day of. Adam, oh, I would show me. up to the studio. Remind me. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm reminding you this. I would show up to the studio some days, and Spencer would look at me and be like, can I warm up? He's like, nah, dude. Patch rolled out today. Nothing we can do, man. We got to update all the PS4s. <laughs> yeah, and like we uh, we actually came up with some tech solutions to be able to, to mitigate the, 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 like, you know, some tech systems to be able to, to be able to roll those patches faster, but it didn't make it any, it didn't make it any less of an issue. And I would hope that one is that they can maybe pull their their esports build because you don't like you don't want to have the players competing on something that's not commercial for long unless they have a private sandbox environment where they can practice the esports meta right privately and they don't have to worry about the thing being updated around them and um so if they can almost pause what their meta is going to be and have the players have a build that's private to them that they can go and play and scrim etc 
you guys know about this more than me. Like, I don't even know if that would work because it's sometimes they scrim with people outside of the CDL. So it, it would matter how far the wide the net was in terms of the number of people that could play. And sometimes these guys want to go to pubs and play or whatever just to warm up. But I, I would hope they could almost pause the meta a little bit and not update with a commercial updater. I would hope they would have a pause feature. I think it's going to yeah, be huge yeah, for them. The league needs it. It would help them so much. Um, and I think commercially, uh, I think that uh, that being able to open those categories up to be able to have their their sponsorship team be able to sell uh, the PC, be able to sell the graphics card, be able to sell the processor, all that stuff. Those are massive, massive, massive esports endemic categories that uh, being able to sell those is going to help the league monetize. And I, I know that's a welcome thing. And I think that they won't they'll be able to have their cake and eat it too. That they'll be able to create something of a consequence for for consoles still. So they'll still be able to have a console Crossplay partner in there. On challengers, yeah. For sure, yeah. something. Uh, or they'll just have like some type of 2v2 or like gunplay, whatever the, you know, or the, yeah. uh, something, the blackout, whatever thing on console. Yeah. They'll do something, and that's smart. So you can, you can kind of sell across all of it. But right now, PC is a closed category for them, and that's a huge revenue loss. So my thing would be, what, what does it change? Hopefully tools, hopefully stability, and hopefully some, mon- some more monetization angles for them. Mm. What do you think about uh, keyboard and mouse? Like if this is the first step into switching over to keyboard and mouse, because that would oh. be crazy. You choose. You're picking one audience or the other. There's no, there's, yeah. There's, if you go keyboard and mouse, bye bye scump, bye bye all these guys. I, I sorry, sorry Seth, and sorry all you guys, but give yeah. it a year. The money's right. These players from other games are coming over, and it's unless you can make the migration, unless there is some type of auto aim kind of, or, you know, homogenization of skills that happen when you're using a controller that allows them to be able to compete uh, with some type of auto aim or something. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was watching a debate today and I jokingly chimed in on Nate and Merck talking like, uh, of course the COD players and their COD intellect, their COD, COD IQ is going to give them a, a leg up. Only for temporar- so long. Temporarily. But then they're going to get surpassed. And then you're, you're going to decide, do you want a, in my opinion, uh, I, think, I think console is more accessible. I think that you're going to, if you want, back in the day when he was like a huge megastar, we'd have Des Bryant playing Call of Duty. We had Dwight Howard come to Anaheim. Like, if you want that to happen, you want this to feel super mainstream, you want this, I, I think you stick with console. Uh, personally, and that's why I, I think, think why Challengers is awesome because uh, it's crossplay. You can use uh, yeah, it's crossplay. No, well, one second, John. Like I will say though that there's there's pluses and minuses for both. Like like I'm not saying like the keyboard and mouse sucks. I'm just saying you have to choose. I don't think there's going to be any middle ground where you get the best of both worlds. Okay. I think you might have like a few Nick Burks that might be able to compete at the beginning, like he did at Fortnite. But then at the end of the day, like keyboard and mouse is going to dominate. It's going to be a whole different level of face of players coming in. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that most most pros are smart enough to agree with that. I just, I feel like it's going to be hard for them to make that decision because as soon as they do, I feel like you're losing your history. You're losing all the history of Call of Duty at that point because it's like I you agree. just said, most of them, if not all, will be gone soon, right? And then it's just everyone that's in there has to learn all new names, all new faces, all new personalities, stories. Everything is completely different. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bring it. We don't have to. I mean, we found our... If, if this is the sweet spot and this is what works, we can just be the eSport that does this. You know what I mean? Like, we, so we, the, don't, we don't have to. The elephant in the room, too, is like... I don't... Like, you can't use DreamHack as an example because, like, that's a BYOC situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The open bracket as we know it, 
would go away it's, it's in a keyboard and mouse environment. I ran StarCraft. I ran 200 PCs. It took forever to change over 1v1 matches. Forever. And you had drivers. You had PCs breaking. You had shit. You had like you can't just get local college kids to come in and supplement your ref crew and have like train them like the day of the you know you hire we would hire we would fly in 16 refs right but we would we would bring in like eight locals to supplement them to run scores or whatever that you have to go from having your refs be people that know the game to people that know PCs and kind of come as a NASCAR pit crew of those stations yeah because. I just can't see a world yet where the tech exists where you can have a 2,000 kids come in for an open bracket and bang on those PCs and not have it be a fucking tech disaster. So for me, like the key, what they did, what CDL did with, key, with the controller mandate was smart. And uh, I think that's a good compromise. Uh, uh, but the keyboard and mouse stuff opens up a lot of... Um, there's a, it's a whole other can of worms, man. You lose a lot of what makes COD great. Like, Challengers becomes a whole different thing. It becomes online with 16 teams making it to the LAN for Challengers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because imagine everybody plugging in their mouse keyboard, setting up all their settings, different programs they need to download. Like, it, it could literally fuck everything up. I can't even imagine, like, even now switching uh, to PC on LAN, like, running a Challengers event. Like, how many PCs do you need? Like, that's going to be way more difficult. Have you put any thought into that? Like how many PCs you need? I mean, just running an event with that many PCs for Call of Duty, like that's going to be tough. Yeah. yeah, like I said, it's uh, it just, I mean, just in a situation where we take the 500 PS4s and you replace it with 500 PCs, that's more of a power draw. Again, the, the equipment is more volatile. It will, you're going to have something break on that rig across all that equipment. I mean, right now with P- PS4s, we have like a 15%. Um, uh, attrition rate with the equipment. We're, we're swapping them out and we have to make sure we have a, a stock of things we're updating in the back. Um, PCs will be worse. And again, like everyone coming in with a different keyboard and mouse that has different drivers, different whatever, that causes these things to go fucking haywire. Sometimes you just can't figure it out and you just have to swap the PC out because the mouse won't work. Headset won't work. You have to mandate things like USB versus whatever the, the plug-in is for the headset. And, again, and also too, again, your staffing gets more expensive because you go from having referees that know and love call of duty and they can ref a match to also having to be kind of again like a, a pit guru for understanding how to tech a computer well good luck, at, that good luck like adam nightmare adam, adam's and figuring then, that out wait and then on top of that i mean it's inevitable but i think call of duty is gonna have it worse than most because call of duty's never had an anti-cheat i don't know if you've been paying attention to what's happening in a war zone where there's like a cheater in every other lobby at least uh, I think that with COD going to PC, maybe yeah. not in the pros, because pros are established and they have a lot to lose, but in the challenger world, I just don't know how they're going to police the cheating that is inevitably going to... It's going to come, right? And like, there's been cheaters out. in Counter-Strike and everything. That comes from the dev, there's though, right? Never even been, hmm? That has to come from the dev, right? Like, that has to be Treyarch. But, I mean... What with anti cheat? Usually, yeah. anti cheats are run by like another a third party company or something like that that develops the anti cheat, and then they have to find the hacks that beat their anti cheat and develop against that. But I just don't think that COD has ever had to deal with the level of of cheating that other games have had to deal with. And when you add that into like the land environment with the new guys and all that, just a lot. Year one might be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Your one might be rough. But yeah, I mean, if if primarily, you know, next year with the way the world is, we're going to be online. It's maybe a good year to start it, right, with PC. So People are going to cheat. They're going to cheat. They're going to find a way to cheat. I mean, it's just a matter of, like, mitigate, like mitigating as much as you can and, and, and 
sussing out the people that you know are like blatantly cheating, but it, you're not wrong, man. Like this is something that exists in traditional sports too. And uh, I understand we're on a whole different level of like, um, it's a digital environment, obviously. It's like in many ways, in a lot of ways, much easier to cheat and much easier to get away with it, especially in a, when you're playing from home. Um, but they'll, they'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, we've been figuring out how to do this shit for 20 years. We'll figure out how to do this one too. Well, all right. Uh, we're going to bring in some of the call-ins now, Adam. Uh, we got a couple people coming in. Um, but uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover before we get the call? Yeah. In? Before we get to there, I want to ask him, you know, what, what was your proudest moment of leading all those teams that you did at, at events in your time at MLG? So I think the I'd say the proudest moment for me uh, operationally was, I, I would say, 2017 Dallas. Uh, for the World War II kickoff, we uh, that was coming when we were uh, having a lot more of the uh, stringent, you know, there's violence going on at some other events, not ours. Um, yes. Some, and it's when we started like layering in, what, like we were already, I would say, um, well above the rest of the industry in any game for security. Like if you went to, like people used to talk shit, but if you went to a CWL event before even this, these mandates came down. I felt secure. We were we weren't doing everything we started doing, but we were doing stuff like wanding. We were doing police officers. Player we were doing backpacks. security everywhere. Player backpacks. And then after the, like after that, we started doing magnometers, which is you walk through the metal detectors. We were doing uh, bomb sniffing dogs. We were doing a ton of stuff. And uh, Dallas, we had the bomb threat, and that was also a 256 team open bracket. I remember. So, they called in a bomb threat. They they said there's like TNT in the fucking like something that like an like a Bugs Bunny or like a Coyote, whatever Wiley Coyote and Speed and a Roadrunner comic or cartoon. Uh, so, they, so they of course they they evacuate in the middle of the open bracket. I forget what round it was. It was like maybe like halfway through Heat One on well, I Friday. Was in a match, dude. I remember this. Yeah. So the whole venue unloads, and it's it's we have to unload five thousand people. And my thing is like you know. The, a lot of folks were like pulling their knees up to their chest, like freaking out. And for us, like it was the complete opposite. Like we were worried. Right. But like there, there's like 16 years of being in the crucible running this shit. Like you asked me earlier, like wh when did like the training that like, you don't realize you're training as you do this stuff and you're kind of working with little resources and you get more resources and you learn and you learn and you learn. We knew what to do. Like there's all these like high paid agencies and these security firms that like these big companies use and like Activision used we were like the experts at the time. And it was like really cool to see like our team just like we were going in. We're like, we have a, the tournament team. We're all in my hotel room. Like in the, this you know, 20 of us crammed in there. We're on calls. Like John Kern's like changing the cage, uh, the catering BOs. We're changing the, the security calls. We're talking to the broadcast stacks. We didn't know if we were going to get to go in that night. The, the league ops teams over there in a the corner, hand drawing out like because our computers are still in the venue, hand drawing out permutations of the open bracket, how we're going to catch up and how we're going to do all this shit talking to like all of our contractors by phone. We're doing like flashpoints where we're going to meet up where this stuff's going to happen. And we didn't get back in a venue that night. As you guys know, for, as competitors, an open bracket is very easy in terms of like the formula for it. It's number of stations. It's the number of days. And it's the time that you have per day. And it's then it's total players. And it's literally like r math equals how much time you need raw to run all of it. It's, it's it. So we lost a full fucking day. <laughs> and for 256 teams and double elimination needs to go to a championship bracket. And uh, 
I, I believe at that time was still when that open bracket went. Yeah, it was went into went into the pro bracket. Pros. Yeah. So the pros had to wait too, even if they caught up in their pools, had to wait for that open bracket to culminate. So we go back in Friday night. We get in, but we couldn't open to the public. It was like one a.m. We go in there. We fucking have this like Braveheart, like William Wallace, like speech for the team. We're like talking about the shit we need to do, and we 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 go through and we 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 catch up. And I think Sunday morning they bomb threaded us again and evacuated a venue. And we 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 same thing, we go up, we have a plan this time, we're prepared for these motherfuckers. We had talked to the, the venue, we talked to the, the the cops and the security and everyone and like our team was ready. So not only did the cops and the, the local authorities know it was a hoax, but we had it we were out for like three or four hours still. In the but parking we went lot, back dude. In, yeah, yeah, we we went we went out, we but we went back in with a plan. And we and you know God bless the players too, because they were like at that point they weren't mad at us; they were mad at whoever was doing it, and they had our back. We ended up finishing like two in the morning or something that night, Sunday night. But we finished the fucking tournament, and I, I don't think any other, I don't think anybody else on the planet besides our team could have done that. I really don't like catching up to that big of a of an open bracket, being able to execute it, being able to manage five thousand attendees, being able to run a tournament, being able to run a broadcast. We still like had you know hundred thousand plus viewers watching it at some point. Of course, it tapered off as we went to the early hours of the night. Uh, but for me, like that was galvanizing for our team. It was also kind of validation that um, when when times are tough and a crisis hits, like COVID, people look that people want someone to lead them and they want someone to be solution oriented. And for me, that's why esports engine became something I wanted to do. I was like, this industry, not just because of a bomb threat or because of a COVID situation or whatever, but all this stuff, like they need people to help them make sure their stuff's dope. And like that's what we're we're here to do. We're here to do epic execution, and uh, you know that 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 2017 event was really tough. And it was like I think at some point I almost like cried. And uh, but we got through it, man. It was like so overwhelming. Like you're having like literally like hives of yeah. anxiety. But we did it, and that's Dude. like my proudest moment. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and that's insane I mean, to think about because as players, as as players are part of people, part of teams. Everyone was just outside complaining. Like, dude. <laughs> No, yeah. it got serious though. It got serious though. When we all went back to the to the hotel. We were in the lobby. And we we're like, "What the hell are they gonna do?" Like, we everybody realized at one point, like, "This kind of sucks." Like, "What the hell are we gonna do?" Oh, nah, yeah. And then you guys finish the tournament, and usually everybody's complaining until they realize what's going on. But I remember, sort of in the moment, even all the amateur players and all the pros are like, "It's actually crazy what the hell they're doing." And after the tournament, all the tweets that came out, everybody was like, "What the yeah. fuck just happened? This was wild. How did they do that?" So. It's a fantastic moment. It takes time for people to appreciate sometimes. What, and I wonder the, if work with other people. I wonder if the fans like that weren't at that event truly know how insane that situation was. And I, I don't know. I think you did a good job explaining it though. Well, well also too, you got to imagine too, like the while while it was happening on the first, especially the first one, we didn't know because I didn't know. I didn't have like you're not omniscient. You don't like know that someone called in some bullshit thing that the cops have to take serious. Like we didn't know why we were getting evacuated. And also, too, like you think then you're like, we're getting evacuated 5,000 people out of this, this, this median out by the Dallas Omni outside the convention center. What if someone's going to drive through the crowd or whatever the guy that's threatening people are out the, is out there with a gun? No one knew everything. So there was like, mm-hmm. there was legit terror with people. Yeah. Like people were scared. And after we found out more, then it became angry and became inspiration to do it. But like that time when like the, the thing with the evacuation, you got to imagine like, I, some people don't realize this. 5,000 people is a lot of people. 
Like yes. a lot of people. I mean, the whole parking garage or wherever we were at was packed, like left or right. It was packed. They were was forming just giant bro. penises in the grass for the helicopter. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it's like tough to manage. Like 5,000 people going out. I mean, like that's, that's a mob scene. And, you know, I, I'm just happy we made it through it. Well, all right. All right. Let's uh let, let's get some of the Collins in here. I don't know if you see the Discord, Adam, but we got Shady down there. Oh boy, <laughs> he's gonna be coming on in. Anyways. Um, and uh, we have the wonderful Ben Nissim uh, moderating the Collins. But our first Collin is Shady. What's going on, man? Where are you from? Hey everybody, how's it going? Shady from San Francisco. What's up? Do I, What's is up? This, uh, yeah, Shady, Shady. Shady from uh, the selfie Shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. How's it going? What's up, Garrett? How you doing? Good, 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 good. Um, I, first, I wanted to start this off with uh, a short story on what made me look up to Adam. Okay. Call of Duty XP, the servers go down, and uh, we're trying to figure out what to do. Adam riles the troops, and we put like eight setups in a van go back to the hotel in a ballroom and Adam's just walking through the ballroom like Braveheart, ordering us to do everything. And we got it all done. And we was in there till like three, four o'clock in the morning with matches. And I was like, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh, that was, like, uh, was that the Black Ops 3 event? Black Ops 3. The forum. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great, idea. Was, Great idea, Adam, putting us in the hotel. <laughs> that, was a, yeah. that was a dope moment. I was like, this guy, I lost, that's the guy I, th- I want to be like. I think Adam cost me like 25 grand uh, <laughs> to put me in that hotel ballroom. I lost my match. But he he blessed me and, and made me a back, though, so it's cool. Then mute these fucks. Then, like, okay, keep going. <laughs> but uh, my first question is, uh, I have two questions, two-part question. Uh, first question is, um, a lot of people always ask, like, how can they get their foot in the esports? And, um, Basically, what would you tell kids that's trying to make a career out of esports and trying to get their foot in the door of esports? What advice would you give them? And the second question is, what's your favorite Jordan of all time? Well, favorite Jordan is Jordan 3, personally. Okay. Uh, there's Jordan 3's cleanest. I think, though, the ones get a lot of love in terms of uh, more more colorways and styles. But... Uh, uh, and also, I like the 11s, but they scuff too easy. The 11s feel uh, like boots, though, man. I can't wear 11s. Yeah, bro. The, really the newer ones. The newer ones are pretty scuff, thick. They scuff so bad. Um, yeah. So I got real, like I got an argument with some uh, some people on Twitter about this like a year ago because um, I said I said this and they're like, oh, you never can't do that. I remember it was like you shouldn't work and for it, that little or something like it, that. It, it wasn't that little. It's like first off, the industry is not what you remember it to be. It's hot, tough, much harder to break in, and everyone can't do what you're saying to do. I think I call bullshit. I say I, I think that's I, I think everyone. I think a lot of people just have excuses about why they want to be fucking miserable. And I think this is one of those things where people don't want to like step up and do shit. Like the, you guys know this, uh, Jeremy and Kilo from, uh, two kids from yeah. Lake city, South Carolina, go Google it. It's a tiny town in the, in the middle of South Carolina, um, outside of Myrtle beach, um, rural. Uh, my brother was, uh, you know, basically got a grant to go down there after getting his teacher certificate to teach down there. Cause they needed teachers desperately. And Jeremy and, and, uh, and and Kilo were were two of the kids that were at his high school, and they love video games so much. Like Jer- Jeremy's, uh, or excuse me, Kilo's a, a D two wrestler. Jeremy was always they their best buds, and they drove from Lake City to Orlando for the 2017 champs to volunteer 
because they asked my brother if, if, if his, they knew who I was, if, if they could go down there, if they, if, would they be able to work? So they drove whatever, like 10 hours, 12 hours down to Orlando, busted ass all weekend, like worked so hard. And I'm not saying you should work for free, but I'm saying whenever you get the chance to work and I don't, if paid or unpaid, I don't give a fuck what it is. Work hard, always work hard because people were noticing, like I, they didn't probably notice that. Like I, I noticed when they were doing stuff, I wasn't watching them because of, I knew who they were. I just watched these kids working, busting their ass, doing stuff, going above and beyond. And I think that you just never know when someone's looking and you never know who's looking. And I think the one, the one thing I would say is whenever you get the chance to do something or you have, an, or you're in a position around others, uh, to kind of, even if it's like running the vacuum cleaner, just do it, do a good job, man. I'm telling you, like, it, it, you have no idea, like the little nuance and, and kind of the effort that goes into little jobs like that and what people notice and what that door that'll open for you. And now I've flown as kids are all around the country. And, uh, I, you know, whenever they're done with college, I'll try to figure out something for them, depending on what they're, what they're doing. But like, uh, I love hard work and I love when people like step up, especially when they don't, when they're not like thinking they're auditioning. Yeah. That's a that's a hundred percent facts because my first event I ever worked contracting for Astro it was Call of Duty uh, Black Ops Three Anaheim, and I did it for free. The only one I got paid for was E Three, but I wanted to get my feet wet and I wanted to see what it was like, and I did it for free. And I've been at Astro for five years now, so that's good advice. But uh, thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Awesome. Wait, 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 wait! Is he leaving? Yeah. Oh no, I'm still here. Oh, hold on, hold on. You know, by the way, I didn't correct him. This is a true story. This fucker called me Sundance for a whole event. <laughs> what? He called me Sundance for a whole event. I didn't correct him. I thought he was trying rolling. to get out of here before that came and, up. And Oz, Oz is like, hey, did you just call Adam Sundance? He's like, yeah, it's Sundance. He's like, that, that's Adam. <laughs> oh, Sundance. I'm talking oh about multiple shit. events. I'm, I'm, I'm walking up to Adam multiple events, and I'm like, hey, Sundance, what's up? And he's giving me the dirtiest look. Like, you never corrected him? Why didn't you correct him? I think this he did. Hilarious. But it was just going through like one ear and out the other. And I'm just no, like, I, I knew. <laughs> I wasn't correcting him. I was letting it happen. It was, we were, Shady's an idiot, man. We were Get chopping him down as soon as he walked away every time. And I was like, he's still calling me Sundance. <laughs> I apologize. So much I, I, I apologize so much I after care. that. But uh, right. I love you, dude. All right. Peace out, Shady. Love you too, man. See you, buddy. Later. Let's get the next one in here, Ben. Who we got? Kicking it off with a couple good questions. Yeah, to follow up on your, like, people getting into esports also, like, shouldn't feel entitled to anything, even if you were in, like, a good position prior. Because I remember when I was retiring from COD, like, uh, I did my first event, and it was, like, like freelance, and it wasn't a crazy paycheck. And then afterwards, like, you gave me an opportunity to to go full-time because you saw I was I was working real hard. I mean, you and a couple other people, you know, Carlton and Drake, but, you know, it's easy for people to feel super entitled. So I agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say, like, this is a, uh, a weird topic for me to address, but, I, you know, the two of you guys, I want to say, I want to say, like, I, I do want to point out something, and, like, I, I'm glad the, the country is, um, you know, it's unfortunate a lot of stuff is going on, but I'm glad that, like, a lot of the conversations are happening, sometimes uncomfortable. But that last year of CWO, we all worked together, is pretty fucking awesome to have as diverse of a desk as we had. And, to have, you know, two female talent, people from different cultures, different races, different walks of life are on that desk. And, you know, like, John and I, like, have this, you know, public persona where we joke around with each other. But, like, 
you know, like that was like you said it earlier, and like that was a family on site at, in Columbus. But like, I'm super proud. Before it was like the fucking popular thing to do. That's something that we did because it was like not only like the right thing to do, but it was also the best product to put out. Like yeah. we were trying to put on a dope show, right? And like we're trying to put out like something cool that resonated with fans, and we also try to bring in the best people. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm like really, really proud of that. Like it's like something that like. We didn't do it because we felt obligated or we were forced. Like it was like a bunch of people that all had great aspirations together and it happened to just be a multicultural, diverse crew of people. And it was just natural. Really it was it a was natural, natural transition into into how that happened and it was an epic year. Bilko, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> how you doing? Hi, how you guys doing? Good evening. What's Good up, evening. man? What's your question? How you brother? doing? Oh yeah. So my question um is basically so um I'm trying to get my bachelor's right now. Um, and so my question is basically, how do you, uh, without any previous experience, try and get your foot in the door right now? Um, just because I'm trying to get a bachelor's in industrial engineering. So, you know, there's a, get a good GPA, get involved on campus, get an internship. Right. Um, and I'm like, I'm at Lockheed Martin right now. And I'm just wondering, so that was there, they have like a path for that. So how do you get into something that doesn't have a pass? <laughs> so, you know? well, that's a good question. What's your name? Your name's Bill. Is that, is that right? Uh, Bilka. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're going for industrial engineering. Do you want to get into esports though? Oh yeah. Well, what, how, like how would you apply that degree to esports? So um, basically all it is, is just optimization and the insurance of the highest quality at, you know, basically the, the cheapest monetary value per se, like what you were talking about earlier. It's just trying to get the best quality out of what you have. And what, and what sure, year are you? you know, uh, I just started my junior year. Uh, how many credits you need to do like a business administration minor or something like that? Um, I don't know. I, a lot of people get like their MBA after they graduate. Um, I, I would just try to, I, I'm uh, like, First off, like I was a sports administration uh, major and I had a, a political science pre-law and a, a double minor with a business administration. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I, I know I took a, I wanted to, I, I did want to go to law school. I wanted, but I didn't want to like practice law per se. I wanted to be in like the business of law. Um, I, I First off, I think you're doing everything right. I think you need to get your education. I think it's a great thing. I, I would, uh, I would start thinking functionally through like what you want to do with your education. And I would start trying to get, uh, I would work your ass off to try to get your foot in the door. Like Lockheed Martin's great. That's awesome. Having your resume, but if you really want to translate to, to esports and to, to gaming, I would start thinking through maybe some more functional work experience while you're in college and you're sort of a quote unquote cheap hire to get, to get your feet wet. And if somebody gets, get some experience and make some contacts that are relevant to the thing you want to do. Uh, because right now your job history is going to point to that type of job industry. And uh, I, I would, I think right now, like assuming your GPA is good and obviously like uh, your educational background is like a, is a very strong path. I would just start trying to get some more relevant uh, work experience in and uh, you know, happy to happy to give you some guidance on that. Uh, if you want to shoot me an email, uh, I'm sure we can uh, figure that out later, but it's pretty easy. It's, it's Adam at esports uh, happy to give you some advice on that, but I would, I would start like, again, while you're in college and you sort of have that stress free environment to like figure out what you're like, how you're going to educate yourself better. 
um, start trying to endeavor to have a little bit more relevant education experience. Again, Lockheed Martin's great, fucking awesome in your resume, but start trying to work on something that might be a little bit more geared towards the industry. And also figure out what you want to do in the industry as well, right? Like figure out which route you want to take because there's a lot of different areas you can go in in esports, a lot of different type of companies. And then just go to like an event. Like you can go to like a PAX West or any sort of esports event or gaming event and just talk to people, right? Get their card, shoot them emails like what Adam just said. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm actually in Orlando. So I I actually reached out earlier in the year um, through Twitter to uh, Tom Ryan. I think he's in the chat. but basically I was trying to see if, you know, if they had an internship, but they didn't have any like emails listed at the time. Cause I don't think misfits was all in on board of mutineers. Gotta like, find probably. another one then. Gotta find so, another yeah. email. Just got to try. But thank you very much for a uh, good question. Dropping that in there. Thank you guys. No problem. Bilka. All, all right. right. Uh, another thing I will say chat is, um, if, since we have answered a lot of questions on how to get into esports, they are welcome. If they are unique questions, um, but let's try to have a, a little bit of variety, guys. So let's get the next one here. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I think it's Jack Stiofane. Stiofane. Yeah, it's all good. It's it's Irish. It's pronounced Stefan, but oh, Irish never. You were on your last episode. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing the, the asking the union question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like my question, uh, and it could be for all you guys, um, is with all this kind of major money coming in towards existing organizations or even setting up new teams uh, as well as franchises and just esports in general, you know, um, is anyone worried about uh, an existing bubble? Like, and to what extent would it be kind of a small bubble just affecting teams that might just get bankrupted out? Or would it be maybe on the horizon affecting actual leagues like CDL or Rainbow Six or something like that? So that's mean, just what I've been thinking about. You mean a bubble, like a, a business bubble? Yeah. yeah, like a business bubble, whether it's on the end of actual franchises or something even bigger, like maybe affecting leagues so, in general. So here's the, here's, here's the, the thing. That, <laughs> there is no bubble in, in video games. Like that's like, it's such a... A legend, because these guys are making more money than they've ever made ever off of video games. Uh, and the esports is what esports is is a marketing tool to increase increase the longevity and lifespan of a player within a game. So they're going you play you competing, whether it's I define esports as competitive multiplayer. So you playing Fall Guys, you playing Call of Duty pubs and TDM, and you playing whatever uh, Warzone. You playing four v four competitive, whatever your whatever your cup of tea is for that game. Uh, you the longer you play that, the longer you're in their ecosystem, the longer you have a, a propensity to spend money on their digital product, MTX. Um, for, so for me, esports is something that there's no bubble for esports. Publishers are always going to have something that they're going to want to encourage people to continue to play games. Um, I think the bubble though question is relevant for the team model. And I think that teams need to be better operators, I think, and they all know that. Like the, and the teams are struggling to, to, to devise ways to make more revenue. Um, and again, that's the thing that w- as an industry that is, as opposed to where the NBA started and we grew, they grew the sport in like barns and high school gyms and it eventually became stadiums. We did the opposite. We're like, we have hundreds of thousands of people watching our game, wanting to play, and we're trying to backfill infrastructure. And again, all like the, the fantasy and the, the collectibles and a cheerleading equivalent and the band equivalent or whatever, all these attachments of people that are interested in our sport. Um, we're trying to backfill that, that not only that infrastructure, but that social infrastructure. 
Uh, I think teams need to almost like weather the storm until all those things are in place. But I don't think the publisher promise and the publisher need to have this exist is, is a bubble. Um, I think the business of esports can be a bubble, and the this but the CDL and the OW and the OWO. I think that my opinion is that th this is just like this is sort of an infinity investment for them. The only thing that I could see being a problem for the leagues personally is if the game the game itself dies, right? Like that, my bubble for the game, my bubble for them would be no one plays Call of Duty anymore or no one plays Overwatch anymore, and that that bubble bursts because those games are gone. In that situation, I would think that Activision Blizzard being a very, very smart operator would either uh, reshuffle the deck uh, to some degree or have some type of Activision Blizzard game license or those franchises transferred over to the next hot IP they're going to roll out or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but I know that the, for me, the bubble is more around the actual game's longevity itself as an ecosystem as opposed to the businesses of esports. I, I hope that made sense. Maybe yeah, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's still like growth. It's not like they've hit a ceiling with like these big leagues and big budgets. No, I mean it's it's insane yeah. that again like esports and competitive gaming is going to become more and more of a priority for publishers to have a, a viable strategy around because again it goes from a, a game just being something you 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 beat and play or be, you you play and then beat to something you play for months upon months upon months and you continue to spend money and um there's there's no denying that. I mean, give me a look at the publicly released numbers for a lot of these publicly traded companies. They are making hundreds of millions, if not billions, off of in-game sales now that they never would have contemplated prior. So um, that's something they're going to continue to double down on. So with those guys killing it, like you're saying, they're all making more money than they were before. But let's say, let's say the bad does happen and Overwatch dies. What happens? What do you think happens to those teams' investments? Like the, I mean, what was it, like $10 million minimum that however many teams put in to get into these spots, like what happens when they start losing that money if that were to happen? And then in the future, it's going to be harder and harder for people to get those type of major funding series so they can get into these esports. I, I, uh, I don't think that, I don't think the, the, the investment will be for not, I think that it'll be something like I said, like say, I don't know, man, like, Super Diablo launches, and it's the Diablo multiplayer that is whatever Blizzard launches. And say Overwatch is being Overwatch is like they've launched Overwatch three and four, and it just it isn't gonna. This is all hypothetical, by the right, way. Right, this right, is yeah. Me, my opinion, like not just don't read into it more than that. I, I would think that you know you have these like massive uh, uh, ownership groups that are coming in that are the the right group of people that you want to have skin in the game on your title. I would think that like that they would roll out like some type of Activision Blizzard type license where that game like their franchise would transfer over to whatever the yeah. game was. So NYXL would go from being an Overwatch franchise to being the Super Diablo franchise. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, it, I I, it, I just think now. once they have that that level of investor and partner in the league, they're going to work together to figure out the right solution for the league and for those franchises. They've created too much value to just throw it away. Well, thank you, okay. Jack. Appreciate the question. I like yeah, thank you. Thank good you. Question. Have a good one, bro. Adam brings in the great questions. All right, let's do, uh, <laughs> let's do a let's do a couple more. Yeah, we have the cerebral callers today. What's going on? <laughs> can, can I get something? Why why is it packing face like better or something like yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the encyclopedia right now. Everybody wants to pick your brain. Yo, Agent Liberty, what's good? See you guys. Chilling, hey, man. Where are you from? What's up? 
I am in Charlotte right now, North okay. Carolina. North nice. Carolina. Some good barbecue right. out there. What's, man? Question? What's the question? Yeah, so my question is, in the current climate, without the live events happening, can orgs in the league be profitable? And do you think uh, like organizations and leagues are rethinking the model that existed before COVID of all the live events and being as large as they were? The These second the part of that question, I mean, I'll give my opinion. I think that they are. I think uh, people are probably thinking there's a way to do a lot of this online uh, just be, to save money, right? Um, you got to think so because, you know, a, a league can be – I mean, you have to have the, the land environment, but you can do some things online. And I think uh, a lot of the esports this year proved that. So I, I said earlier that, like, my educational background was uh, sports administration and – uh, one of the like the big you know sports history you know things that we cover in terms of coursework is you know the business of, of sports and you, know, you have your traditional revenue spokes of like ticket sales, merchandise, sponsorship, um, you know so depending on if you own a venue, uh, concessions, etc. Like the normal players, and I think the thing that made us super lucrative uh, and very enticing to these um, these traditional sports owners was. That video games and esports created a an additional spoke that doesn't exist because no one owns baseball, no one owns football. Publishers own these games, so like they can roll out digital products that don't exist. So uh, my theory is that the those those traditional sports lines will always be there. Like I've said that from the beginning, they're always going to be there. When this space gets bigger, ticket sales are going to continue to go up. Merchandise is going to continue to go up. Sponsorship is going to continue to go up. Distribution rights are going to continue to go up. But once we're there, that's going to be found money. And I think right now what they're going to do is probably going to, uh, what I would do is refocus on a digital strategy to really monetize the, what's in front of them, which is their, their digital audience for these teams and play, these teams, these franchises to be able to sell in-game items uh, and to have a real product strategy around that. Um, because I do... Uh, with the kind of the uncertainty around a vaccine and when we'll get back to like a, uh, a real kind of live event model again, it is, it is very tough. And I think teams are, teams are going to have it. They're going to, it's going to cut both ways for teams in that to your point earlier about whether teams can have a profitable, viable model. Um, yes, their, their revenue upside is going to be hurt from lack of ticket sales and being able to sell in, in market merch. But also you got to imagine like not having to host massive events in their market is also means their costs are going to go down. So both sides of their P&L are going to sort of be balanced by this, this situation. And I think where the league is going to help, personally, what I, again, no inside knowledge, but I would assume they're going to be very uh, much more aggressive with a digital strategy. And I do think PC is going to help with that. I think that PC being off of one of the major platforms like PSN or Xbox Live is going to help them be able to monetize that because they're not going to have to share it as much, and they're going to have like more of a free marketplace to be able to sell that stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Agent Liberty. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good question. Yeah, thank you. you. Answered the hell out of that question. Yeah, I don't think I... <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I'm was learning. Great. All right, let's get uh, the next one in here. To the next question. Ben, you're you're on point today. Ben's Ben's boss is here today, so he's on point. Yeah, he's, he's making sure to bet today. Yeah. <laughs> Are Yo, you Jake, there? what's up, sure man? There. How you doing? Uh, what's Welcome up, back. guys? Good. What's the question, Thanks, guys. guy? Um, I wanted to ask Adam, since he's put on so many MLG events over the years, there had to have been a fair share of like problems. Like, was there any, ever any production disasters that maybe the fans didn't know about that? How did you solve? 
that fans didn't know about or fans did know about that were disasters because there's didn't. well didn't. i mean one that we we that they didn't or that they did for sure was uh i know that's not what you asked was when uh the streams went down in dallas uh 2011 or 12 or whatever it was it was massive starcraft tournament and some of the venue's internet died and after that we went to satellite trucks to to get our inter- internet out we ended up spending an obscene amount of money but I mean, that was egg on her face. I mean, somebody, like, there was all these memes where they were showing the bald eagle nest in some distant mountain being streamed live, and they were, like, put it next to MLG still being down. <laughs> and uh, so there's a, there's a lot of things that, you know, that happen behind the scenes that you guys never know about. I, that's a, this is a really good you question. Don't ha- you don't we, have to share, by the way. No, no, I'm just thinking... I'm just thinking through if there's a specific example I could give. Um, th- there's always stuff that happens, and there's 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 always things that go on where we're we're dealing with it. I mean, I <laughs> there's also there's also arguments with players that you guys never realize. I'll, I'll never Insane forget that. arguments, bro. <laughs> I I I think it was either World War II or it was the year that Optic won it. It was one of the two. What was it? What was it? it was AW? What was the year Optic won it? A- it was IW. Uh, IW. IW twenty. It was what? What right. was the year yeah. they had? It was the year they had four. Was, well, how many years did they have formal? They have it for all three of those, or IW, just all IW, three IW, back years? Street, yeah. So I mean, like just little battles we have with players, and the players are like, <laughs> like a lot of times you see them on Twitter and they fucking just destroy us. It's it's bad, but like a lot of times, the, like the arguments we we have in in the venue are almost worse. Um, and you know the players. Um, a lot of times people. We'll give the players shit for how they talk to us. Uh, and also, sometimes it's deserved. Uh, but a lot of times, too, like, I really appreciate they keep all these things private. I'll never forget in Anaheim, Optic gets, Optic gets beat. I forget what, who beat him. It was an upset. Um, and Krim walks off the stage, and he's, he's heated. And it's Krim. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, I was like, Krim, good match. He goes, thanks. By the way, the, crook- the stage is crooked. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> cool well, i'll get to level we'll look into that and he just like marches off like out of the venue <laughs> so insane, after, dude. after that we would always get the level we're like make sure this is is set for crim before he goes up here to play all right sorry ian I've yeah, seen dude. a lot of stuff behind the scenes with players yelling at either maybe you or or Rami. I feel like Rami might have gotten the worst. Oh, yeah, it was Rami and dude. Spence, dude. That I dude. saw. I saw one day. I I think you saw that too. Aunt. One day uh, it was after the league in Columbus, and Clay was just yelling, just reaming Rami about losing the coin flip or something. Yeah, about yeah I remember that. Going in, going into group play, like nothing was even decided. It was just the group that they were drawn into. And he was raging at Rami about this. Like, oh, why the fuck are we always... Oh, we would always find a solution, though. doing this shit for the fucking ratings. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> we would always find a solution, <laughs> though. And that's because everybody had such a good rapport with each other. Like, and that's why, like, you know, Rami and Spence and Adam had such a good relationship with all the players that they could just talk to them and figure everything out. So there was never any, like, pent-up frustration. But there was definitely times where things got super heated. Remember, like, the, the me and Doug situation... And you had to walk up and talk to our two teams like, listen, you idiots, like <laughs> what's wrong with you guys? And we figured that out. There's just a, a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that you guys don't see, Jake, but it all got figured out over the time. Well, I yep. appreciate that answer. No problem. 
I wish, had a better, I wish I had a better story for you, buddy. Next time I'll have one. Whatever story he was wanting probably can't be public anyway. So let's yeah. get, let's get the next uh, call in here. We got, we'll take uh, two or three more. All right, Turtle, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? What's Good. up, man? Uh, Adam. <laughs> what's up? How you? How you doing? Uh, <laughs> say you're the new CDL commissioner and you're in charge of all events. What innovations or improvements would you like to see? in terms of the live event production that will make it a better experience for both the players and the fans? Uh, so, first off, I would like to say, again, not pandering, but Johanna's great. You guys are lucky to have her. I wish I, I want her to have a, a year where they don't have to deal with a bunch of bullshit. Um, and also where she has more experience under her belt. I think that once the non-COVID environment, um, she has kind of free reign to do a lot of shit. Uh, you guys will be really happy with what she does. Um, you know, to be fair, to, to be fair, like, I had a lot of years to like do cool shit and uh, you know, hopefully I could have, you know, there's a lot of stuff I wish I could have done more. Like I, I wish I, I mean, uh, one thing I'll say is I wish I had their budget. They had way more resources than I ever had. Um, but uh, I don't know, man, like it, that's a, it's a really tough question. Like I, I, the one thing I would say, and this is going to be a really, really, really boring answer for you. And I think it's something that CDL needs to do too. Uh, but the, the the number one prop in show business, the number one prop still in esports is a crowd. And I, I think that we have done ourselves a disservice over the years about doing local marketing, like real local marketing. Like there's no reason we go to town that like I, I remember going to game stops and going to Best Buys and going to like restaurants and somebody would walk up. They would literally have an MLG shirt on and be like, hey, we're down. We're down at the convention center. Like what? And they had no idea. So, like, my, my thing is, like, what would I do different for fans and the players is, like, I would have done a much better job of having a really solid local, national, global marketing plan, not only for viewership, but for in, especially in-venue attendance. There's nothing going to drive that kind of, like, I, uh, what Sundance likes to say as one of his kind of KPIs, kind of key performance indicator of, like, whether it was epic or not is, do you say, I was there when? And there's nothing that there's nothing that really drives in that moment to being next to like thousands of people fucking screaming during something epic, and you remember that forever. And the same thing at home, people watching and that, that seeing that crowd, seeing that energy, that drives viewership. So like this local attendance, I think is something that collectively um, the industry needs to, to to improve on. And I personally wish I would have done a better job of uh, leading uh, to drive that for Call of Duty. Well, thank you, Terrell. Adam Brown. Whatever, whatever happened to when we show up to events to watch, I'd have all eight screens playing for me. Like I could watch. You'd have the main screen up, that one that's being streamed out or whatever. But I could watch, you know, Roy's point of view the whole time if I wanted to in the corner. I'll call for Halo. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. Like, why did that stop being a thing? Because I think that the viewer experience at the events is like. You're like so we we started like, we started doing that later again um, as an innovation, but. Back in the day when we first started sanctioning Halo and producing Halo, there was no observer mode. So we had to manually grab every one of the feeds from all eight of the players and then put that into a switcher along with any of our hand cams, our jib, etc. So we had access to all those feeds. Right now, I think pub, uh, tournament operators have gotten a little lazy because we have observer mode. So all that we can switch via our observers to all those POVs. So we're not manually grabbing all of those feeds. So in order to have those, to display those on a quad split, whatever, or even like four different screens, we need to have some video engineering in a venue and for the broadcast to be able to have those feeds outside of the observer mode that we're manually capturing to be able to spit into the things for the audience or the at-home crowd. 
So really, it's just it's a it's equal parts laziness and equal parts some cost to be able to do it. Okay. Uh, but you're right. It's it's definitely a level up. Yeah, I just thought it was always cool at events to be able to do that. It was, it was like, epic for sure. And like you said, did you see that? Like watching with someone else from not the main screen. Yeah. Like, yeah, and we, and we would have like final yeah. boss would go up on one side, and you'd like the 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 program out screen would be in the middle, but in the side you'd have the quad split final boss, and our fucking final boss would go pop right in the middle of the quad split, <laughs> and you'd yeah. know it was ogre one, ogre two, Walshy strong side. You could see their gamer tags labeled on their screens. It was such a cool thing because if you were an Ogre 2 fan or you're a Walshy fan, you could sit there and just literally watch their POV. Yeah. So, Frothy, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. What's your question? How's it going, How's it going guys? Uh, I just wanted to say before I ask my question, uh, thanks, Adam, for coming through. This like side of esports to me is just as entertaining. I've yeah, been man. new to this uh, to esports over the, like the last three years. And as much as I love all of the great tournaments and content that I see on Twitch and everything, the business side is just as interesting, especially being older. So thanks a lot for coming. Yeah, man. No problem. Uh, my question is related to the CDL with the recent announcement of 4v4. Um, not this, all three of y'all can answer this. Is In your opinion, do you think this was the best year due to the situation for the league to go 4v4 uh, due to the financial impact from COVID? And also the updated rules on the Challengers League. So this year, uh, the pros who end up in the Challengers League can actually compete. Had they gone 4v4 last year, they would have not been able to compete had they been subs. So I don't, I don't um, subscribe to the, the, um, the conspiracy theories that this happened because of COVID budget cuts. I don't think anybody on that team that I know personally would ever make a decision like that. I think they made a decision based on the best decision for competitive integrity. And I do think 4v4 is Call of Duty. I think 5v5 was a mistake. I, I, I mean, I personally didn't want it. and uh, But we were a team. In a team meeting, the CWL team, the studio, we, we made the decision together. So there wasn't like, ha-ha, I was right, you were wrong. Um, but I don't think people thought through the reverberations of changing that whole scene to 5v5 and how that has to reverber- reverberate across every title that happens after that one that it was that they're switching to 5v5. So I think this team, the CDL team, personally, and again, this is with zero insider knowledge, made this decision because it was the best decision for the Call of Duty audience in a vacuum and the best for the meta, best for competitive integrity, best for every, a lot of metrics they, they weighed. I think that there's equal parts, pluses and minuses. One is, to your point, that uh, an indirect consequence was that the team's budgets became less because they had to carry one less salary. Um, But two, a negative for the players was it's one less opportunity for a player across 12 teams when there's already only 12 teams in a pro. So so it breaks my heart that we're losing 12 players basically making a living on a starter level in CDL. So that, that does suck. But CDO's making plays though, man. I mean, with the PC and the 4v4, like these are things that are going to make COD better uh, competitively uh, on an individual basis and a team basis. Like it's going to make our esport better. So, I mean, they're they're making bold moves and, and they're doing it. So I, I respect that. And I don't think, I agree with you. I do not think it was budget cuts at all. These teams, they're, they're paying these players a lot of money and to keep that talent, they would have continued to pay them even if it was 5v5. I don't think COVID affected that with the team. Yeah, if you... I liken this to a situation where some somebody very smart that I uh, learned a lot from said to me recently is that whenever you're going to fire somebody, you fire them. You never look back and say, I wish I hadn't fired them. Like when it's time to fire somebody, you get rid of them. 
when there's a when there's a obvious decision like this to make, which is four v four in my opinion, you make the decision and you deal with the repercussions because it's the right decision. And I really feel like that's what this was spawned off of. Like I don't feel like there's anything to read into here. So that's my opinion on it. Yeah, totally agree. It's just I feel uh, like it got a lot of hate, but like as we're talking a lot, all the background that goes in esports, I feel like the timing was actually pretty good that it went 44 this year. I'm assuming that discussion was going to happen regardless of COVID, like the switch was going to happen regardless of COVID. But had it happened last year with the, like, I guess not as well thought out rules for challengers and subs, because it was like the first year CDL and there's growing pains. Would have been tougher. Yeah, it would have been tougher. So I feel like this is actually a little bit better instead of doing it last year. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you, Frothy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank no you. problem. Thanks, Have a good night. You too, buddy. I think we're going to do one more call in. Drag him in, Ben. Got some great. We've had a great episode today. It's been yeah, fantastic. Yo, Swede, what's Wait, up, man? We cannot be our last call. <laughs> Before you get started. Adam, you cool to do one more question after this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Swede, what's the question? Uh, I mean, you've, you've thrown some crazy events in the past. Um, <laughs> I was just going to ask as far as uh, like some insight maybe on, on um, the Black Ops 3 Champs event. I've, I think that was probably the craziest event I've seen as far as just like everything maybe you had going on there. Like you had the paintball, you had the IW. Um, multiplayer, Adam had a like, budget. I mean, that. that's it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I got I to be honest here. Like that wasn't ran by me. Oh, was it not? Boom. That, that was called was oh, because that was COD XP, wasn't it? That was, it was the first XP. Yeah, and they like I, I forgot. I'll say this: a lot of people want to give Activision shit about that this or that, and um, Activision makes it rain, man, for champs. Like they do. Like <laughs> yeah, they do. XP, they spent a lot of money. They do it right. Like they don't cut corners, and that event was fantastic. So Snoop, Snoop Dogg, Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, they went hard, bro. But, wait, no, no, that wasn't Snoop and Wiz Khalifa. That was wait. The, yeah, that was kind of. Well, that's the same event. Which one, you, you, think, you op, did you not operate that event, Adam? Kanye was. Oh, okay. So that was at the forum, right? That's the one yeah, that you uh, operated yeah. that. I'm pretty I sure. operated a tournament in Bravo Charlie Delta. Okay. So Activision Marketing and another agency operated the main stage because I wouldn't have the stage main that. stage. I would not have made the stage that way. I will say that, <laughs> that was, was a rip. awful. I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you have to the, sprint downstairs. No players joke. are in like mail slots like this. You see like Scump's heads like up it like hundred feet up. It was good for pictures. Like dude, the, Nick Murphy would have fried on that set. The images though. that came out from those from that thing was cool. But so anyways, go, like, go, to your, go to your question. Sorry. Well, did you run that at all? Then you said. He said Bravo Charlie. I ran Delta. Bravo Charlie Delta, and I, we ran the comp ups for the um, for the whole tournament. Because the the Wiz Khalifa Snoop Dogg, I thought was the same one that had uh, the the Snoop. It was. The, it was. Speed. But it, that, that that was. I can't, I can't claim credit for all the cool shit that happened there. That wasn't my okay. budget. Was there any uh, Was there any events that you had something cool planned like that that maybe fell through, or or you had some idea for another event? Uh, are these questions sweet I don't know. <laughs> yeah i mean like uh the csgo major like we were going to get like borgor or something like a like one of these at the time like a big dj to come out and thank god we didn't because other hey, people god. did it later and got fucking eviscerated yeah but like we, we talked hard. about doing like music like that like at um at one of our shows but um you know we we just always really just focused on like like people are there to, to come and watch and play video games and we yeah. always just focus on that so like we all we always had aspirations about doing grand shit like i i do think that um that when people go to these events they want to go do they want to go have fun and go hang out 
So I, I, I do. There's a lot of cool stuff we planned for like after hours that like sometimes didn't happen. Uh, but you know, like those XP events, man, you're, you're, those are, that's a great example for you to bring up. And I wish I could claim credit for it. Like that was uh, my good buddy, Ryan Fitzpatrick over at Compass and the, the Call of Duty experiential marketing team. They really kicked ass with that. Um, uh, but that wasn't my team. But Those we we guys we, spent yeah, money at them. I just did the the Encompass reveal event. They they spend money for sure. <laughs> yeah, they have they have way more budget than I have ever had. Yeah, but, they go they go hard. That's for you. You just show Ryan's up great. Work. Yeah, uh, and then uh, uh, wait, okay, real quick, chat, chat is really wants me to ask. They want me to ask about the blue Ethernet cables. Any opinion on that? Uh, yeah, we always gave Killa the, the, the green ones instead of the blue ones. <laughs> the green ones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. All right, thanks. Later. Okay, All Ben. Right. FCMB. Ben J. Nissum. Can you unmute? Do we, have any, uh, do we have any... Do we have any... You did a great job today. I want to show you some love, Ben. Oh, you killed you. it, bro. Your boss is <laughs> here, and you didn't want to get fired. I respect it. Are there... Is there any last uh, text questions you got that for Adam to answer? Before we wrap up no i think uh, i think you guys had a, a good episode i think we had a couple of questions i'll kind of teed up i think a lot of people asked um kind of around belong and what the the thought process was there and there was a specific question about belong about adam do you think that um local land centers and the prevalence and the growth that's seen in the last like five to ten years will kickstart some of the more like grassroots scenes like the collegiate esports scene hmm. Ben, can you ask the question a little bit more succinct sorry <laughs> <laughs> so the, one of the good questions I saw in the chat was uh, someone asked with the expansion of local land centers in the last couple of years, do you think that's going to help grow and kickstart the collegiate esports scene? So I, I don't think the land center strategy of the last 10 years is going to help anybody. I think the land center strategy that we're talking about building will help in that uh, having just a bunch of uh, locations around the world where people can go play video games isn't going to do shit. Having a bunch of locations where people can go and qualify for fucking huge, like publisher-sanctioned events, and being able to ha like compete with pro teams or compete with your semi-pro team, and being able to compete in officially sanctioned activity with partner, you know, pro professional teams in that region, that will change things. Um, so same thing I we always say like with this stuff is, you can go medium or you can go huge, and I really think with this this space like a lot of the, a lot of these initiatives are they live and die from by like, people going in without vision without actually going through with like what it actually means. Like, sure, I could roll off 500 brick and mortar stores around the, around the country and it's going to be a big beat, but what is it actually going to be besides people just going there and playing video games there and being like another like David Busters? That's not what I want to do. No one wants to do that shit. Publishers don't want that. Nobody wants that. We want to do something greater and grander. And uh, I think that, um, you know, that the strategy, like, and we'll have more to share on that in the, in the future, but like, uh, having it be have something of some substance where it's not just like you have a PlayStation at home, you have an Xbox at home, you have a, a PC at home, but why are you going to that center? There's got to be a reason why you're going there, and it's got to be strategic, and there's got to be uh, a, a driver for people to go there and, and participate, and that's what we're working on. It's got to be all connected. Fantastic. All right. Well, Adam, this was Thank one of my you. favorite episodes I've ever done. You're a very smart man, and this was a great conversation. And I hope in the future down the line we can we can do this again. And also, we got to hang out soon. So, uh, yeah, I gotta say, uh, super proud of you guys. Like, it's really cool you guys do this on your own. Like, I know that like this isn't some like uh, pile of gold, pile of money for you guys to do this stuff. And uh, I think it's awesome you're doing it. And 
you know, it, the more and more that you guys continue to grind your brand, like you guys are, are going to get this where you want it to be. And um, like I said, super happy to come on. I'll, I'll come on whenever you want me to. Um, but yeah, man, uh, really awesome to be on here and like awesome to see you guys continue to grow. Well, can great, I come man. use your gym? <laughs> no, oh, you still owe me a thousand dollars. You need to pay him Ooh. that thousand dollars, John. You can, you're the person uh, who lives by, you pay up your debts and you made a clean, honest bet. You have we to told this story, by the way? We have. we told this story about how this happened, by the and way? This is going to be documented forever on YouTube. So tell us. You've tell twisted us. this story, by the way, about how this happened. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> we, 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 we I was there. Story? Me, we you, Drake, John, all standing in a circle. You can tell your version of the story if you and like. And John walked up to. He called you out. So we're at the 2008, the Black Ops Four, my last season. Hard Rock event after party on Sunday night. Yep. And we're sitting there. We're drinking, not talking about weightlifting, not talking about anything. We're all sitting there drinking in a circle. We're waiting on more staff to come in. Pac-Man had been drinking somewhere. I don't know. So he all of a sudden, we're the circle of us. He comes up, and he's like this far from my face. You got to tell them he, how he comes up, though, Adam. He literally walks up, open-toed sandals, drink in his hand, hat cocked to the side backwards. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he walks up point blank to you. Already kind of buzzed or drunk because he's spitting all over me. And he's like, I saw you lifting boxes at the venue. You think you're big, don't you? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I guarantee you in one year, I'm stronger than you. And I was like, everyone's really laughing. I'm like, get, the, get out of here. He's like, $1,000. I'll be stronger than you in one year. I was like, well, John, what? I'm sober. I'm like, what does stronger mean? He's like, I'll bench more than you in one year, $1,000. Like, John, we got to have this be competitive. Like, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I mean, it was, he was like yelling at me. He's spitting on me. He's talking shit. And then, then it was, happened. then the bet was 225 for oh, reps bullshit. and then I'll double your reps. In one, in what was it? In one year's time, right? Or six months time? Yeah, one year to train. One year to train. Like, and then in November, he went in a witness protection fucking program. You know what's hilarious, though, Adam, before we wrap this, is, is uh, when we were in uh, uh, Columbus for the league, he signed up at Lifetime, and he was hitting it hard, man. He was going there. He was benching, like, every day. He actually went hard for, like, a month, and I remember he was like, fuck this. I give up. <laughs> I knew. So, I was like, dude, this shit is fucking hard. So August, so this bet happened in December of two thousand and. 18. 18, yeah. And so we were supposed to have it happen. The culmination would be December 2019. So champs that year was in Poly Pavilion in UCLA. And it was that was in August. And my 155-pound son, I took him with me to my last event. We're at, the, <laughs> we're at the bar, and I'm like, John, right now, double or nothing. You out bench Anthony right now. He's 155 pounds. We'll call it. We'll, I'll, you know. You pay me two thousand, or we call it zero. Yep, he wouldn't take the bet. He wouldn't. He wouldn't take the bet. And my son said, "They're going. Let's go." <laughs> First of all, there's there's a missing component to this story. He's, he wanted to do this right now, as in we were literally sitting there. Drink, I was like four glasses of wine deep. His son is his son. I don't know what the hell these guys do in their spare time. All they do is lift stuff. And he's like, yeah, right now, go. He's in workout gear. I'm like, why are you in workout gear? p.m. What's wrong with you? I just, I don't know. Uh, all right, good, good episode, man. Well, hey, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
right, Adam, we'll talk to you soon. If you guys uh, want to check out Adam's socials, it's Mr. Adam AP on Twitter and also the company that he runs. It's fantastic. Check him out, Esports ENG, Esports Engine. Check them out on Twitter as well. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you go leave a review. It does a lot. If you're on YouTube, leave a like and comment what you would like to see in the next episode. But until next time, guys, we'll see you later. Thank, Thank you, guys. you guys. Have a great night. <laughs>